0: One thing I've developed over the past year, um, especially with uh, GPT-4 coming out, is what I'm calling like this AI-first mindset, where anything I'm doing, whether it's a problem I'm trying to solve at work or even something at home, my first little thought in the back of my head is like, huh, I wonder if GPT could help me out with this. And oftentimes I just try it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I find just having that mindset has unlocked a lot of really weird and interesting and creative uses of AI that... I would have never thought um, to do out of the box. But once you start thinking like that, you start to uncover all sorts of random things like that. And oftentimes it's not something that's going to, you know, shift your day from working eight hours down to 30 minutes. But if you can save a few minutes here and there, but do that 10, 20 times a day, uh, it's really kind of transformational in terms of your productivity and and some of the, the capabilities that you unlock just by using this like simple text prediction tool. It's really kind of wild.
1: Welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. We are coming to you from Seattle, where we get to report each day on what's happening around us in business, technology, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere. And every week on this show, we talk about some of the most interesting stories and trends in the news. This week, I got to talk with someone who is experimenting every day with AI, pushing the capabilities of the existing tools and technologies. Kevin Lenaway, Principal Software Engineer at Pioneer Square Labs, the startup incubator in Seattle. Kevin Lenaway, it's great to have you here. Yeah,
0: thanks for inviting me. This is fun.
1: So through a circuitous series of events, I ended up saying, hey, I've got to get you on this show. And one of them was the email that you sent to me when we were talking about different AI tools saying, you get to work at Pioneer Square Labs and push these tools as far as you can get them to go, these AI tools, and you're having a lot of fun. And as soon as I read that, I was like, Kevin, can you be on the podcast? I've got to to chat with you. So just to get us up to this point, can you tell us a little bit of your background for people who are not familiar with you?
0: Yeah, sure. So um, originally from Michigan, went to the University of Michigan and moved out here to, I went to uh, Microsoft for about five years. And then 2010, it was back when uh, Techstars first came to Seattle, I uh, was fortunate enough to be in that first group with an idea called uh, Giant Thinkwell. This is a, a social gaming startup. Is that what it was? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we were trying to build games on, on social networks around celebrities. So we did a, a app with Sir Mix-a-Lot back in the day and, and tried a bunch of stuff and you know, ultimately, we just we couldn't make it work. Uh, we were about to run out of money, and um, we sort of did a hard, hard pivot. Basically, changed the whole company towards uh, presentations. You know, iPad had just come out, uh, so we built an app called Haiku Deck, uh, which was a, basically a, a really simple way to build presentations on uh, mobile applications. I worked with a, a great, my favorite entrepreneur, Adam Tratt and built that company up, and we ended up winning a GeekWire Startup of the Year, one of my favorite uh, moments of that journey. And then after about five years there, I sold the company, and, and now I'm working at Pioneer Square Labs. I've been there about six years as a principal software engineer, and such a fun job. I get to partner with CEOs and take their ideas and basically build out the first version, hire the first technical hires, and then move on to the next company.
1: What's the past year been like for you As a longtime engineer, startup person, I can imagine that it might be like you're dealing with superpowers on the one hand, but also loads of cement on the other. I mean, it seems like it's all over the map with these tools.
0: Yeah, for me personally, I mean, the past year has been the most fun year at at PSL. Um, You know, I've I've been into AI since uh, back in college and and have dabbled with different things over the years. But um, just over the past year, and specifically when GPT-4 came out, It was like we were just given this new superpower. You know, so much of PSL is somebody comes to us with a problem and then we try to solve it with whatever tools we have. And oftentimes those tools, you know, weren't quite enough. And now it felt like over, you know, a couple of months, we are just handed these amazing new powers and nobody really knew what to do with them. And so it was just up to us to keep pushing and trying new things and playing around and it's been so much fun to just day-to-day experiment with it. And it's really transformed my own day-to-day job. You know, I write code most of the day. And two years ago, 0% of my code was written with AI. The tools just weren't ready. Today, it's probably 80% of my day is I'm just talking to AI, trying to get it to coax it to do my work for me. Um, and it's been working really well. So that's been a really fun transformation for me personally. Uh, taking a lot of the tedious stuff I used to do and and automating that away. So that's been great.
1: So in terms of specifics, are you using GitHub Copilot? Is that your primary IDE, as they say?
0: Yeah, so it's two main things. So Copilot, um, been using that since the early days, and that's a fantastic tool, but also has its limitations. And I actually started this sort of nights and weekends project uh, back in the spring uh, where I started to just plug in GPT-4 to various workflows I had. I had an idea to build myself a summer intern. And so, just started working on that and then started using it more and more to actually help me with my day job. And it it worked. It started to work and it was really cool. So actually we got to the point where we started to say maybe we should make a a startup out of this random side project. And so that's one thing I'm working on right now is is a, a basically an AI coding bot that is you can sort of treat it like an intern. You know, it works through GitHub, you can create issues, it does pull requests. And one of my things I do all the time is I have a design, I have turned it into code. Very tedious. Um, so I built a Figma plugin where I can just hit a few buttons and actually get a real working pull request out of it. Uh, it's been really fun. We're, we're just still trying to test this out with other people, but
1: uh, it's been kind of a game changer for me personally. On the spectrum from idea to startup, where is this summer intern initiative?
0: Yeah, we're like right in the middle. We just launched our site uh just yesterday, actually, uh, J-A-C-B, uh, which stands for Just Another Coding Bot, or Jacob for short. Um, so we're just at the wait list phase. People can jump in there. They can um, enter some some information about how they write code. And we're just getting it out to the first couple of outside customers. Um, so still haven't decided if we're officially going to make that a company. Right now it's just Kevin's weird side project-y
1: thing. Um, but it's been super fun to work on that. So I remember... if if I'm not mistaken, when you had a website, a blog called A Startup A Day, yes. am I remembering this correctly? Oh my gosh, I can't believe you remember that. Yes, that absolutely. Was, when was, what time frame was that?
0: Yeah, so this is back in 2007. Yeah. Um, I was working at Microsoft as a developer evangelist and focused on startups. And I really liked working for Microsoft, but I knew in my heart, I wanted to work for startups. And so this was kind of my way to start uh, flexing that muscle as I thought, okay, every day I'm going to write uh, a new startup idea and just post it on my blog. Most of these ideas are completely terrible. I didn't end up doing it every single day, but I think I ended up with maybe 200 or so ideas. Uh, It's been actually, the other day, I went back and looked at some of those and it's been fun to see which ones were just absolutely terrible and which ones were actually like, oh, that's a real thing now.
1: Can you give me an example of what a real thing would have been?
0: Yeah. You know, um, there was a list of like, uh, I think Paul Graham had a list of like 30 ideas that they wanted to fund. And one of those was a a Craigslist killer. And so I had the idea, you know, this is back again, it seems obvious now, but um, to basically do a a social marketplace. So, um, you know, you could buy and sell things with your friends, your neighbors in a a more secure way. And of course, you know,
1: Facebook marketplace. marketplace,
0: yeah, absolutely, and all these other um, you know companies that have spun out there. But, but it's kind of fun to see that and be like, oh yeah, that's a thing now, <laughs> and it was not obvious at the time.
1: How about the worst idea?
0: Oh gosh, so so many. I mean, it was funny because I was at Microsoft at the time, and like um, so many of my ideas were centered <laughs> around uh, Silverlight, which is a technology. And I was just like so excited about Silverlight, thinking like that's going to change the world, and it did not. Was it
1: like a job, Java replacement?
0: It like, yeah, it was like Flash. Um, Flash. It was like, yeah, Microsoft version of Flash. It's actually really cool technology, but you know, it's just at a point where Flash was dying anyway. And yeah. so, yeah.
1: Okay, so obviously you're not just an engineer. You're not just a coder. You're somebody who likes to come up with interesting ideas. Yeah. So when you look at what AI unlocks, how would you describe what it does for the creative process and what have you experienced over the past, you know, six, nine months?
0: Yeah. You know, I find that it's just, it enables me to be able to do such weird and kind of amazing things that, um, you know, I, I like to just push it as hard as I can and see what happens, you know, and we keep getting these new toys, you know, GPT four has been really fun in terms of, you know, oftentimes trying to figure out how can I get structured data out of just sort of random free form text. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a lot of really interesting, uh, you know, early stage companies we're we're, uh, playing around with that are really based on that idea. Um, But then also, I really love these new like vision APIs, you know, Um, uh, like the other day, I I was playing around with ChatGPT and my son came home with a piece of paper. He's, he's trying to study for the spelling bee, right? So, you know, he's got 50 words on here. He's got two weeks to do this. And, and so I'm like, okay, I got to come up with this study plan. So I took a picture of it. I went to chat GPT and I said, Hey, can you give me a plan for my kid? And use spaced repetition. You know, it's like a way to remember things better. And within seconds, I had this perfect plan. It had the exact words on the exact days I printed it out, you know, and and every night we went through and, and studied with this plan. And, you know, it's the type of thing where if I had actually had to go through and type out 50 random spelling words, I would have never done that. Yeah. But to be able to take a picture of something and just have it work is like kind of mind blowing. And that was a, a spark for me of like, ooh, this next generation of models is going to be super interesting. All these new wearables, you know, uh, you know, glasses or even pins—who knows what that form factor is going to be? But vision is is really kind of a really interesting area that I'm I'm excited about.
1: Very interesting. Okay, and it's interesting that you bring up that exercise that you went through with your son because that's what reconnected us recently, and it's actually a really fascinating example of how the creative process can be changed by AI. So let's talk about that when we come back. You're listening to GeekWire. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. welcome back. It's Todd Bishop. I'm here with Kevin Lenaway. He is a principal software engineer at Pioneer Square Labs in Seattle. So Kevin, I was on vacation over the Christmas break with my family in Miami and the Florida Keys and was getting bored and I had ordered this little thermal printer for my daughter. Yeah. It was one of those Christmas gifts. I don't know if you do this with your kids, but I got it for her ostensibly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I bought my kids an electric guitar. They haven't touched it. Yes.
1: There you go. So it's $30 black and white and nothing really to speak of other than the fact that you can print out these little stickers in black and white from your phone. And so we were traveling with a big family and I started to draw out on my digital notepad little name tags for everybody. And then it struck me like, what am I doing? I'm not an artist, <laughs> you know, like, I can't even letter, you know, something that looks cool. I can go in there to Dolly through Microsoft Bing and create these just amazing, yes, black and white on the printer, but these amazing images, these name tags. And I posted it on LinkedIn and then you said, that's really cool. Let me tell you about what I did. <laughs> tell us, tell us about what you did with your daughter.
0: Yeah, so this is actually when, when Dolly three was first coming out, I was um, you know just experimenting with it. I have a, a four year old daughter, and she's learning to read, and I thought, huh, it would be fun to create this just visual of some letters that were based on some of her favorite things. And so I went to ChatGPT and asked for, you know, for example, the letter A with a bunch of things that she likes that start with the letter A. You know, she she loves uh, Disney princesses and Aurora is her, her favorite princess, for example. And so, you know, it generated, you know, this this really actually very interesting, compelling picture that, you know, was loaded with things that all started with the letter A. And did the same thing for a couple other letters and, and you know, shared some of those with her. And, and we had a real kick out of just going through and, and looking at those. But it's that sort of thing where it's like... Gosh, I could never, like, I'm a terrible artist. I could never draw anything like that. And to be able to have that just to play with in seconds
1: is pretty remarkable. It's really cool. I'll link from the show notes to the one that you shared with me on LinkedIn. I'm yeah. trying to remember what letter it was. I think it was a
0: D, yeah. And it yeah. then
1: has really realistic images of different objects that start with the letter D, like a dinosaur, I think was one yes. of them. Yep. Inside the letter, making the letter. And I was telling you, it's so cool. I could have seen this 10 years ago as something that would have been on the shelf at a Barnes and Noble in a hardback 20 page book for a kid, 26 page book <laughs> for a kid, right? Learning right. the alphabet. I mean, it's yeah. just remarkable. And it just strikes me how, yes, there's a big focus on AI taking things away from us, things that we might enjoy doing. and perhaps one of your former business partners, Kyle Kesterson would look at that as an artist and say, whoa, that's not great. But for people like you and me looking at that, it's totally different because we say that allows me to do something I never could have done before.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a key point. You know, I think, um, you know, as AI gets better and better, you know, think about me as a software engineer, like in 10 years, is my job going to be as valuable and as relevant as it is today? Probably not, right? And that's a little bit scary to me. There's a lot of uncertainty, and I think a lot of other people are kind of feeling that too. But at the same time, I think one thing that's interesting about AI is it lowers that barrier. So all those things that you kind of wish you could have done but didn't because it just takes too much time, or maybe you didn't have the quite the, the skill sets, um, you can now do these. And so, uh, something like you know the the image for my daughter. I would never go to Kyle and ask him to, to draw this for me, but to be able to do that myself, you know we're just going to see 10x, 100x more, you know, content generated. And code is the same way. I think there's a lot of applications where, man, it'd be nice if I had an application that did X, but it's going to cost me 20 grand to build that out in six months, so I'm not going to do it. But if it, you know, cost you 10 minutes and 50 cents? Absolutely. There's a lot, lot more that we can do. So that's where I'm optimistic about AI is is the ability to just make that pie much bigger as opposed to it just eating all the slices.
1: That's your optimistic view. Are there places in the back of your mind where you worry or pessimistic about how AI is going to affect us individually or affect the world at large?
0: Absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm a I'm an optimist uh, by default and especially around AI. I've just been having so much fun and uh, using all these tools and I think you know, I think part of me is trying to block away some of those uh, potentially bad things that could happen. And I think part of it too is it's a little bit hard to worry about it because we just don't know what those bad things are going to be. I think there's some issues that that people bring up around job loss and and all of that, which I think are are very real, but also very fuzzy and far away. And I think, you know, we as a society, we've adapted to technological changes before, and we find new jobs, and there's always more opportunities. And I think that will continue. But I'm not sure. You know, this is a whole new world we're entering, and it'll be really fun, but also really kind of of scary. And I think about my kids too, right? My youngest son, uh, when he was growing up, he's 12 now, I had a big focus on kind of teaching him to write code. And like that seemed like a really important skill set. Oh, yeah. Is that something that I'm still really focused on today? I'm starting to question whether or not that's going to be a really valuable skill. I don't know. So it'll be interesting to see how that comes out.
1: You were talking about images earlier and how the image recognition and generation capabilities of these new models is really impressive and something you're going to be watching in 2024 and, and working with. Yep. And I think about deep fakes yep. and that whole potential to influence. Frankly, in my mind, at least not being somebody who studies policy or risks like that a lot, but that seems to me like the more near-term risk is the potential to deceive rather than to take our jobs.
0: Yep. I think that's a really good point. You know, And Yeah. So there's not a lot you can do about it. I think, you know, we've sort of trained ourselves over the past, you know, decade or so to be a little more cautious when you see a news story and to think a little bit deeper about it. But there's something very primal about seeing a video of somebody doing something that's just different than reading a random article off the web. And same thing with images. And so, man, it'll be really interesting to see how that all plays out and all the safeguards that are put in place and the back and forth where the bad actors are trying to get around those. I don't think it's necessarily a battle that you can obviously win. And so the way that we adopt as a
1: society will be really interesting to see
0: how that plays out.
1: I'm like you, Kevin. I tend to be enthused by new technology by default. And my first question isn't how is this going to... Damage me or society But how can I leverage this To do something cool And I feel like I have to Come to the realization that I I just need to ask those other questions as well. So I felt like I needed to ask you that. But I do want to say, super important. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, You mentioned earlier though that you got your kids an electric guitar, and you—it sounds like you end up playing it. (laughs) I try. (laughs) Have you tried using AI stuff with music at all, or?
0: You know, that's an area that I haven't explored that much. I've dabbled a little bit. Um, you know, I and back in college I I uh played played tuba in the Michigan marching band and I had a, a band where I played bass guitar and music was a big part of my life um throughout my twenties. Um but I just <laughs> I find I don't have the time lately to be um writing music and playing music as much as I would like. And same thing with these tools. There's so many other things I've been playing with that the music generation just hasn't been top of mind for me. But there's some really cool stuff. I, uh, a coworker of mine, um, Adam Loving, is very much into music, and he's been playing with that and doing some really cool stuff with, with AI-generated music.
1: I didn't know we had this in common. So you played tuba in the Michigan marching band?
0: I did, yes.
1: Okay, so I didn't play in college, but I played sousaphone and marching baritone and all these things in the high school band, so. Oh, funny, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I play guitar today, too. I dabble in guitar, too. So my thing with the guitar is, you know, I'll get these um, Hal Leonard books off of eBay of things that I wanna learn, and I, I subscribe to some guitar websites that give you tabs and that kind of thing. But oftentimes, especially in the printed books, you are in a key that's really awkward. I mean, I'm a total amateur. I need this stuff to be in, you know, C D A G, (laughs) same. even B. If it gets to B, I'm like, I can't play that chord. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's too hard on my pinky. And it's like (laughs) chat GPT, just the plain vanilla 4.0, you know, the kind that you get if you subscribe for 20 bucks a month is so good at transposing. If you just say these are the chords, I want to get it into something that's a little bit more comfortable to play it'll just it'll give you some alternatives,
0: yeah, that's I'm not surprised at all you know i I think one thing I've developed over the past year, um especially with uh g p t four coming out is what I'm calling like this a i first mindset where anything I'm doing, whether it's a problem I'm trying to solve at work or even something at home, my first little thought in the back of my head is like huh, I wonder if Chat GPT could help me out with this. And oftentimes I just try it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I find just having that mindset has unlocked a lot of really weird and interesting and creative uses of AI that I would have never thought um, to do out of the box. But once you start thinking like that, you start to uncover all sorts of random things like that. And oftentimes it's not something that's going to, you know, shift your day from working eight hours down to 30 minutes. But if you can save a few minutes here and there, but do that 10, 20 times a day, uh, it's really kind of transformational in terms of your productivity and, and some of the the capabilities that you unlock um, just by using this like simple you know, text prediction tool. It's really kind of wild.
1: So you've mentioned GPT-4 and ChatGPT a few times. I'm curious, do you end up pretty much sticking with the open AI tools or do you go and try Google Bard and Gemini and Anthropic and in, in all those sorts of things as well.
0: Yeah, so I personally have been mostly focused on GPT-4. And one of the reasons why is, uh, especially in the early stages as I'm prototyping something, GPT-4 really does have uh, the strongest capabilities right now, but it's also very expensive. And so what we're trying to do is first see if we can get this thing done. And you might as well use the best possible model because we're not doing it at scale. It's a, you know... Twenty cents a day or something. It's not a big deal. But then identifying places where, okay, now that we are bringing this out to scale, where can we use some of those other models? You know, just today, I I had a coworker who had built out a a really interesting application using GPT-4, but as we went to roll it out to customers, you know, the price point they were willing to pay brought that down where the unit economics didn't make sense. And so he's trying out Mixtral, for example, um, which is a a new open source Model,
1: Wait, what is that again?
0: Uh, it's called Mixtral. So this is a M I
1: X T R E L.
0: M I X T R A L. A L. Yeah. So I think it's out of um, out of Europe somewhere, maybe France. Um, and this is a company that basically developed this really neat model, uh, rolled it out, and this is using a mi- mixture of experts approach, which is what GPT four is, and was kind of elevated it above you know what we had before. And this is one of the first open source models that's able to have that mixture of experts approach, but in a much smaller and in an open source model um, that's, you know, 10 or 20x cheaper to run than than GPT-4. So we're trying to find places where we can plug that in at scale once we've proven out that high level concept with GPT-4.
1: Coming up next, the intersection of AI and the real world. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Are there any other tools that you use on a daily or weekly basis that you think might become more commonly used as people figure out how cool they are in two, three months? I'm just curious if there's things that you on the cutting edge of this field might know that folks out there would want to know about. That's a
0: good question. I'm trying to think of something unique um, you know, one of my personal favorites is uh, is Midjourney, which I know is a little bit more popular. But one thing people may not know is they have a physical print magazine, um, <laughs> you know, and what they do is they basically take, you know, 50 of the best images that were created by the community that month, and, and they publish it in this like glossy, kind of artsy kind of magazine. And it's been really fun. I've subscribed for about a year now. And to see the evolution and just to see it in this tangible format and to pick up my issue from last March and look at these images and then to pick up the one that just came in the mail uh, two days ago and look at what that uh, was able to create, it's pretty mind blowing. And it really is a tangible reminder of how much these models have advanced in such a short period of time and how much they're going to probably continue to advance throughout the next year and two years and five years and what an impact that's going to have once they get to that human superhuman type of level, man, the world's going to change in really weird and interesting ways.
1: Yeah. It's funny you should mention that because, and this gets to the examples that we brought up earlier about creating an image out of a letter or the thing that I was doing with the stickers. I am fascinated by the intersection between the physical world and AI in that way, almost in the same way that I think a lot of people are fascinated by records and, you know, traditional vinyl, listening to music that way. I, to me, I don't know if it would ever become mainstream, these sort of physical manifestations of AI, but I think it's one of these cool side parts of the whole thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the infrastructure is getting there, you know, these um, new models that can handle vision, that can handle video Uh, You know, Gemini is doing some really interesting stuff, multimodal across video and text. But it's starting to lay this foundation where you can see things like robots that are actually able to do interesting things cheaply and effectively. That's not going to come out next month, but that's an area I'm really interested in over, you know, say 2025, 2026. What is that going to look like? That could be really fun and really cool. So lots of interesting stuff, even the, you know, the new Rabbit um, that just came out, um, which I don't know if you've seen that. So it's a, basically it's a standalone, a little box. It almost looks like a little Game Boy and it has this like kind of cute 8-bit graphics. And you just pick it up and you can talk to it and ask it things like, uh, you know, can you book me a flight or can you, you know, do whatever it is that you would normally go to ChatGPT and ask but it's just in a form factor of having this little little box. It's it's very cute, very compelling. Uh, I think they've sold out multiple runs, and and it's really it's sort of a polarizing thing where people are saying, oh, maybe it could be an app, maybe not. But to your point, there's something compelling about having a piece of hardware that you can actually hold and talk to, and it does stuff that I think is really attractive to people.
1: The thing that I love to do is use the ChatGPT app, and a lot of times. If I've read a book or read a long PDF and I'm just trying to refresh my memory about what it was, I'll load it into Chat GPT on my computer at home. So I'll start a thread, I'll get in my car and I'll reactivate that thread. And so for example, when I got to interview Fei Fei Lee, the AI pioneer, I read her book on a PDF. It was a pre-release copy. And then about a month later I got to interview her. And you know, a month had passed. I not add everything fresh. And so I was able to drive around with my phone docked and talk through my car system with ChatGPT GPT and say, remind me, what did she say about her mom or her dad or the dry cleaning shop where she learned the fundamentals of business? And just the sophistication of the responses. It's like having somebody who read the book reminding you about what it was like. It's mind blowing, not to mention just the basic stuff that it can answer, you know, much better than Alexa, for example.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and the, the speech to text I, I find to be really compelling. Um, for example, you know, I'm an engineer. I don't go on podcasts very often and, and I needed <laughs> to prepare. And so I went to ChatGPT and I said, hey, Pretend to be Todd and ask me a bunch oh my of gosh. questions. You're kidding. And uh, sure enough, you know, it would ask me a question and then I would do the speech to text and I actually try to answer it. And then <laughs> I asked it to critique my answers and tell me what I did wrong. <laughs> uh, so it's you know, just just a way to just, you know, use this in a, in a very practical way. Way a little embarrassing to admit that, Not but, but you know, it's it
1: really fun to do that. Uh, I'm now embarrassed. How close did I come to ChatGPT and the questions that <laughs> I asked you? Uh,
0: they're pretty. Yours are much more uh, interesting and sophisticated. Uh, <laughs> and I also I told ChatGPT to really push me and try to make me uncomfortable. And, and you're you're so nice. It's been a oh, lot no. easier. <laughs> okay,
1: so I'll ask you this. i let me ask you. This was this Feel was my one you. uncomfortable question. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. But it it, it did cross my mind because we did have some news. We're recording on Thursday, the 25th, and. And there was some news today that the FTC is looking into the relationship between Anthropic and Amazon and Microsoft and OpenAI. And Kevin, I don't necessarily expect you to have a lawyer's opinion on this, obviously, but I did want to bring it up in part because I want the audience to know about it. When you look at news like that, or say news like the New York Times suing Microsoft and OpenAI over the origins of the content that they use to train these large language models, is that like a concern for you as someone who's using these tools to innovate, or is it more background noise?
0: A little bit of both, um, but it's definitely something that uh, I think about and, and I frankly need to think about as I'm developing all of these tools for these these venture scale companies that are going to be using this as the basis for what is potentially, you know, the next you know, five, 10 years of their life. Um, and so I need to be really careful that whatever I'm using and building is absolutely compliant and doesn't run any risk of potentially, you know, having some copyright issues or, or things like that. On the other hand, I also think about, you know, I'm old enough to remember being in college when, you know, my favorite app of all time uh, was was Napster, right? Well, I love music. I was a poor college kid. Gosh, it was nice to just go and hit a button and listen to whatever music I wanted. Now, as a more mature adult, I, I uh, acknowledge the ethical issues with Napster. And of course, that that went away. But I do wonder if maybe there's going to be a moment where, you know, Napster kind of was on this upward trajectory, and then it just died because of legal issues. Could ChatGPT gpt kind of be the same way or mid-journey? You know, if we start to really reduce the number of sources that can be used to train these AI models, have we reached a point where we're already at that peak and it's just going to get harder and harder? Now, my my thought is probably not. There's a lot of artificial... Ways that you can generate text and in super interesting papers that have been coming out lately around how to do that in a way that enhances these models going forward, but it's not completely clear to me that that some of the more creative things like Mid Journey or some of the the music creation tools uh, might really run into some serious snags with copyright issues.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that then makes you wonder what would be the Spotify of AI effectively, right. the the compliant version, and how would those capabilities compared to what you can do today, it feels like it would be a little less wild west, a little more controlled and probably more expensive.
0: Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's really interesting looking at like what uh, OpenAI is doing with their uh, GPT store, right? They're encouraging people to put a bunch of information in voluntarily, right? I use the GPTs all the time. I find them to be super useful. I think personally as a economic, you know, I'm not trying to make a bunch of money from these or expecting other people to use them. But personally, I find them very useful to take a bunch of context about a thing I'm trying to build. And then I can just ask it questions and get uh, reliable answers out without having to copy and paste a bunch of stuff. And I think they already have, you know, several million of these GPTs that have been built out. And I don't know this for sure. But my guess is one of the reasons they're doing this is to gather much more um, interesting sources of data, start to understand structured data sources and APIs and all of the information that's out there in ways that's done uh, voluntarily as opposed to OpenAI having to go out and, and scrape it and have to deal with all the legal issues.
1: That raises another issue. I was going to let you off the hook here for a little bit, but you know, we're going to turn this into a, a episode rivaling the length of Acquired, which is <laughs> your, <laughs> your former colleague, Ben My Gilbert, who's three-hour it. episodes here. But I, I, I do want to bring this up. So I've tried making GPTs yeah. myself, and I'll give you an example. Yeah. I've got a friend, a longtime friend, childhood friend, who's a pastor at a Lutheran church here in Seattle. Yeah. And he has all of his sermons archived on their website in pdf form and so like you I'm sitting here looking around me going what can I do with the world around me and how can I process this through AI like the world around me has become raw data you know yeah. and and here is a great example so I tried to create a pastor dan bot yeah Kevin I don't know if I'm doing it wrong or what but I uploaded the PDFs you know they've got the 20 PDF limit or yeah. whatever yeah. and we're talking about text here we're not talking about some intensive large thing and it's like, it just chokes on it. Like it can't give you a fundamental answer about the Sermon on the Mount. I'm sorry to get religious on people, but anyway, you yeah. know, like just fundamental yeah. stuff. Yeah, What's going on? Is that just like a, a lack of processing power behind the scenes?
0: Yeah. So um, I can get in the technical weeds about this, but, um, you know, I saw an interesting thread the other day that was highlighting this exact issue, which is, you know, the GPTs are still early days. And one of the problems is if you put a bunch of text into the GPT as a PDF, what it's trying to do is it's going to search through all of that text and try to shove it into this, what's called the context window. Um, That's the amount of space that it has to kind of give the AI a nudge towards the right answer, right? And when you put in a whole bunch of PDFs, you basically blow out that entire context window and the AI gets really confused because it can't follow its own thread Normally, it understands the you know the the question and the answer, and it, it'll keep a thread going for you know at least twenty or thirty um, back and forths. But when you shove all that context in there as PDFs, you just blow that window, and it forgets what it said two, three, four messages ago. So again, getting in the weeds here, but um, you know there's still some tips and tricks to, to learn about kind of how to do that TPT correctly but
1: okay and so my assumption was that it was more like a search index where if you uploaded those pdfs it would crawl it once and forever have it in short-term memory ready to give right back to you yeah but that's not the case.
0: That's That would have been my assumption too. But you know, having read a little bit about this issue, that's what other people have started to discover um, and seems to make sense to me. Um, now, that's a bug that might get fixed soon, but um, that's probably what's happening in your example.
1: I know another person, an analyst at Gartner, who told me, okay, the issue that you're running into is something that could be solved by retrieval augmented generation, RAG. Is that true?
0: That's absolutely true, yeah. And that's what they're doing in the background hypothetically, I think they just haven't quite gotten it dialed in yet.
1: Okay. Very interesting. All right. Like I said, I could talk to you forever on this (laughs) stuff. It it would actually be great to have you back in a year or so just to see where things are. So let's bookmark that and do that. Is there anything that we did not talk about that either you or your chat GPT trainer would have wanted you to have said (laughs) on this episode?
0: (laughs) You know, I will say, I will give a quick plug um, for my little uh, coding bot that we're just trying to validate, right? Pioneer Square Labs, we validate ideas all the time. So this isn't a new startup by any means. But if anybody's out there that's a coder and wants to try it out, um, go to Um, jacb.ai. We have a little wait list up there, fill out a form. And would love for some people to kind of try it out and and see if it works as well for you as it has for me. It's a really fun tool and just kind of a fun
1: thing to do. This is the evolution of your summer intern. That's
0: right. Yes, (laughs) yes. Jacob is growing
1: up. Yes. (laughs) Nice. Kevin Lenaway, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much, Todd. Kevin Lenaway is a principal software engineer at Pioneer Square Labs in Seattle. See the show notes and the related post on GeekWire for links and content related to our discussion, including Kevin's AI coding assistant, Jacob. Thanks for listening. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.